Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to sing praises to your name and to recognize your greatness and your greatness forever. And in these next moments, as we open up your word, the word that you gave us, the word that has been God-breathed, that uh, you would uh, use it through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to help us to live lives that are conducive to the faith and that we would be truly fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we continue a series that we started um, uh, last Sunday. And last Sunday we started a series talking about living life together. And we recognize that life is all about relationships. Relationships between a husband and a wife, relationship between a teacher and a student, uh, between a coach and an athlete, uh, between an employer and employee, between a roommate and another roommate. We must deal with people every day. And the quality of these relationships is crucial to everyone's happiness and well-being. And in the Bible, there is a small book that's tucked away between the books of Titus and Hebrew, and it's called Philemon. And so it's a one-chapter book in the Bible, and it's a letter. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philemon. If you can find the book of Hebrews and then take one step left, you're right there at, uh, at Philemon. And Philemon is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. So Rome is over here. Philemon lives in Colossae. He lives in Turkey. So if you can think of Rome, Italy, and then you think about the southern part of Turkey, that's where the city of Colossae is. Somewhere along life, Paul intersected his life with Philemon and led him to Christ. And so Philemon was a wealthy man, a wealthy landowner, and, um, and he came to know Christ as Savior. Paul was arrested and was arrested there in Rome because he was following Christ. So Philemon's over here, Paul's over here. Philemon has a slave by the name of Onesimus, and this slave ran away. And when he ran away, he made his way to Rome, and as he got to Rome, his life intersected with Paul, and Paul led him to Christ. And so now Onesimus, a runaway slave, has made a decision for Christ, and he's helping Paul while he's there in prison. But then Paul realizes, and so does Onesimus, that in order for you to truly live that life that Christ wants you to live, you have got to straighten things out with your master, that is Philemon. And you need to go back and you need to have a face-to-face reconciliation with him. And so I'm going to write a letter for you to take and to give it to Philemon for him to read as you come in to that face-to-face confrontation and reconciliation. And so this short letter is a letter that has some incredible truths for how we can live life together. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to uh, open them up to Philemon. We're going to look at verses 8 through 16, but before we do, I want to give you at least two foundational truths along the way that you need to write down. Number one, the most essential key in ongoing positive relationships is the ability to forgive. The most essential key in ongoing positive relationships is the ability to forgive. And this letter, whole thing, is focused on forgiveness of Philemon to be able to forgive 
Onesimus, Onesimus to be able to repent of what he's done that was wrong. Listen, forgiveness is a dynamic power in the lives of others. There's something about it that brings out the best of us, whether we are asking for forgiveness or whether we are giving forgiveness. There's a dynamic to it. Now, every one of us, when we've done, when we've done something wrong and we've wronged somebody, it's so hard to be able to swallow pride and then to go see that person that's uncomfortable and say, I got to tell you, I messed up. I did wrong. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And then on this other hand over here, if you're the one that's been offended, it's so much easier to hold on to the bitterness that um, sometimes you don't want them to come. And then when they do, you have somehow got to release and extend forgiveness to them. But whenever that happens, it is just such a dynamic thing that happens in your life. There's this freedom that you get, and it's like, oh, man, I feel so much better on there. That is why the most essential key in ongoing positive relationships is the ability to forgive. And the second point that you need to write down is refusal to forgive builds barriers rather than bridges. It builds barriers rather than bridges. All of us would love to have healthy, strong relationships. And in order for you to have a healthy relationship, you're constantly building bridges so that we can walk across these bridges and there's a oneness that we have. But whenever there is unforgiveness, you're not building a bridge, you're building a wall, you're building a barrier. And there will never be a healthy relationship with someone if there is unforgiveness. And so we got to make the decision. Do you want to build bears or do you want to build bridges? And in Philemon, especially verses 8 through 16, Paul is going to be appealing to Philemon to say, we need to build some bridges here. So I want you to follow with me, starting in the eighth verse in Philemon. He says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Now he starts out and he says, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you. That does not mean I'm going to use my authority. That word bold is a word that means fearless and outspoken. What Paul is saying is saying, I'm outspoken enough and I'm fearless enough to be able to come to you and say, this is what you should do. I'm saying this not as an apostle, but I'm telling you this as a Christian. Philemon, this is something that you need to do. He says, but I'm not going to do that. He says, I'm not going to come and I'm not going to coerce you to make this decision to forgive Onesimus. He says, I'm not going to appeal to you on that. He says, I am going to let you draw your own conclusions. I'm not going to force you and tell you what you should do with your slave. And I thought about that, and it's kind of like parenting. You know, as parents, um, we don't really appreciate other people coming up to us and telling us how we should raise our kids. Am I correct on that? Or If you enjoy that, let me know, because uh, i got plenty of people I can send you that think they know how to raise kids uh, on there. Because don't you know, like your kid's kind of acting up somewhere and someone walks up to you and they go, now I know this is none of my business, but if it was my child, and then fill in the blank. And then what do you respond? It's not your child, thank you. <laughs> no, but there are always people that got my favorite show, you know, Andy of Mayberry. I mean, that's, uh, we're going to be watching those reruns in heaven. And uh, what, I, what I always enjoy about Andy of Mayberry is how Barney always tries to tell Andy how to raise Opie. And then Andy used to ask him, said, so now how many kids do you have, uh, Barney? <laughs> Never been married, don't have any kids. But I tell you, if he was my son, this is what I would do. And it's the same thing in that culture with masters and slaves. 
is that no master wants you to tell you how they should handle their slave. Now, as we walk through this letter, we're going to sit out here, we're real uncomfortable. We're talking about masters and slaves, and shouldn't we be talking about that slavery is wrong? We don't have time to, to build all of this. That's a part of their culture. That's a part of the culture. And in fact, in some parts, in Africa and in, a- in Europe and Asia, the slaves outnumbered the free men. And there would be rich people that would have maybe hundreds, even thousands slaves that would be working all around there. That was a part of the culture. And what the Bible does, it doesn't attack it, but it begins to chip at the roots on there. Because in the book of Galatians, Paul himself says, listen, in Christ, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no free man, there's no slave. There's no man, there's no woman. You are all one in Christ. And what Paul did was he uplifted the personhood of an individual that was serving as a slave. So at this point in time, he is dealing with his culture. And Philemon has slave and probably he's got a number of slaves. And so in this culture, he knows he can't tell him exactly what to do with his slave, but he is beginning to talk to him about what he feels as a Christian that he needs to be doing. And so you come to verse 9. And when you get to verse 9, he says that I'm not going to coerce you, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. The reason I'm coming to you is for love's sake. Love is what, is what kind of wraps itself around a community of believers and keeps us strong. And he says, it's for love. In verse 5, he commended Philemon for the love that he has for the saints and his faith in God. He says, that same love that you've been a recipient of, the same love you've shown to others, I'm appealing to you for love's sake to do this. And that's where your third point is. And that is that true reconciliation cannot be forced or manipulated. True reconciliation cannot be forced or manipulated. You cannot force somebody to forgive someone. Now, you can force them to say the words, but you can't force them to speak it in their heart. They've got to make that decision. I mean, you know, as parents, when our kids do stuff, we try to tell them, be sure and tell someone that you're sorry, that you're sorry. And they may say it with their voice, but they may not mean it in their heart. And adults, we can do the same thing to where we can go, oh, yeah, I forgive you. But you really haven't because you're still bitter and you still talk about it. You see, there's no way that you can force reconciliation. And what Paul understands when he's writing to Philemon is that true reconciliation cannot be forced and it cannot be manipulated. So I, for love's sake, I'm appealing to you. I'm just going to give you an an argument here to appeal to you for you to be able to reconcile with Onesimus over here. But that doesn't keep him from pulling at his heartstrings. And so he plays two cards. He plays, first of all, the old man card. He says, I, Paul, an old man. Put the old man card down there. Well, I read one commentary, and it said, when it says old man, he didn't mean that he was aged and he had one foot in the grave. He just said he was an old man. Hippocrates, around the 400-something B.C., came up with uh, a belief that there were seven stages in a man's life, and he took it by ages. And there was a different Greek word for each one of those stages. And the Greek word that was used in this stage is the next to the last stage. And that is ages 50 to 56. That's the word that's used. So when he says, I'm an old man, he's saying, I'm somewhere like in between 50 and 56. Well, it was interesting. About a year and a half ago, I turned 60. 
And I remember when I returned 60, so many people came up to me and they said, hey, you know, 60 is the new 40. 60 is the new 40. Hey. And I felt good until I read Hippocrates. <laughs> I'm on the last train. I mean, I'm in the last stage. I, it's at the end for me yeah, uh, over there. So that didn't encourage me. It didn't encourage me at all. So when he talks about an old man, he is saying that in the ancient cultures, they would defer to their elders. And so when someone had some age on them, then people would listen to them a little bit more. I just came home to me when uh, I would travel a number of years ago to Indonesia. As I went to Indonesia, I was with some other pastors, and, and we were there, and we were speaking at a seminary. As we were speaking at a seminary, there were all these students there, and, and then there were other pastors there. And when I traveled, I went with David Platt and J.D. Greer. Now, those are the young guns, the new, new picture, the uh, face of, of missions, and, and, and they should be. They're great guys, and David's now the president of the International Mission Board. And so while we were there, all these film crews for IMB were doing this video log of them as they're going around. And so we're traveling with the IMB video crew, and, and uh, David Platt gets up, and he speaks and to these students. And, and then as he steps down, then I'm supposed to get up and speak. And as soon as I get up, all the IMB people leave. All the video guys leave because they don't want me. They just, you know, it's the young guys. So I finished my time, and I walked out and um, got with uh, one of the missionaries that was over there. And um, I was just laughing at him. And I said, you know, I know I'm second string, but I'm fine. I said, it's just good to be here, and I thank you for the opportunity. And he said, well, you're getting ready to do a seminar with pastors over here. I said, yeah. I said, um, you know, I, I, I guess do they want me? Would they rather have one of these other guys? And he just stopped me. He says, no, they want you. They came to hear you. I said, me? I said, why? You got white hair. <laughs> I said, what? And they said, they honor people who have white hair. And they believe they've got so much wisdom. I said, so what my challenge is is to keep them believing that I've got a lot of wisdom. He said, yeah, that's right. I'm telling you what. I walked in that room. These pastors sitting in that room were on the edge of their seats waiting for whatever I had to say. And they're writing stuff down like, like crazy on there. So right there at that moment, as I'm there speaking, God sends this message straight to me. And he says, see, Danny? That's why you didn't start Grecian formula. I said, oh, that's right. I said, I'm as natural as can be over here, man. And God's using it in a great way. So he says, he plays the old man card. But then he played, I'm the prisoner for Jesus Christ card. Whoa, okay. Two strong things. Again, he's not forcing him. He's not manipulating him. He's saying, Philemon, I want you to listen to me. I'm a prisoner for Christ. I'm an older man, I've got wisdom, I understand the things of God, and I'm appealing to you. I just want you to listen to this. So he gets to verse 10. And he gets to verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. That's a spiritual context. He says, Onesimus was lost, I helped lead him to Christ. So I, in essence, am like his spiritual father as he's his spiritual child. Now, let me tell you what's so neat about this. this. The letter that he wrote was in Greek. And so the Greek text, the literal Greek text, has the word, the name Onesimus at the end. It's the last word. 
So let's read it that way. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, whose father I became in my imprisonment, Onesimus. Now, this is a letter written to Philemon, which was also written to the church in Colossae, which many believe that they read the letter out loud to the people in Colossae. And so as they're reading this letter, can't you just see those believers saying, you know, I met someone who was lost, and I've become their spiritual father, and they've accepted Christ as Savior. And everybody's going, mm, mm, amen. Ah, ah, brother, ah, that's great. And his name's Onesimus. What? Onesimus? That runaway slave? That guy that we've been looking for? The one that we put a bounty on his head? You're telling me that guy? Oh, you know, there just had to be some kind of ripples going through there. And then all of a sudden he comes back in verse 11. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Anesimus. You know what his name means in Greek? Useful. That's his name. So Paul does a play on words and he says, you know, he, Anesimus used to be useful. Remember old useful over there? He was useless to you. He was a runaway slave. He wasn't any good to you. But now he's made this decision for Christ and he is useful. And he's useful for me and he's useful for you. And he said, there's a change that has happened. A change that has happened. And it has changed everything about him to where he's gone from useless to useful. He is now valuable for your service. And Paul saw a way to use him to serve the gospel. And this is a powerful illustration of how the gospel changes a person's life. Useless members of society can become valuable and productive. God never gives up on you. He'll continue to mold you, shape you, remake you, and complete you in Christ Jesus. There's some of you that are sitting out here today to where if you had to put a stamp on your hand, you would stamp, is it useful or useless? You would stamp useless. The reason is because of all the different things that you've done and kind of where you are in life. And you're saying, I'm just useless. But what is so great is that God can take those who at this time may be useless and turn them into useful. Onesimus became one that was useful because he made that decision for Christ. And it changed his life. And he became useful. I came back uh, late last night from uh, my fraternity's uh, centennial celebration. It was great. So I read 100 years of Lambda Chi Alpha at Auburn University. And, and it was great hearing the stories and, and things. But it was interesting as I was listening to people talk and even looked out over the room. You know, I saw some guys there that from their testimony, just to them talking about life, that there were times when they would have said they were just useless. And it was so cool to see now that they're useful because God has changed their life. And they're now being used for, the, for God's kingdom. God can do that. He's constantly reshaping you. He's constantly molding you. And he wants you to be useful. And that's exactly what Philemon said. He says, I mean, what Paul said. He says, listen, Philemon, this guy was useless, but now he's useful. He's useful to me, and he'll be useful to you. And then all of a sudden, you come and you get to verse 12. And in verse 12, it says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I am so close to him, and I'm going to send Onesimus back to you. He has to do a face-to-face reconciliation with you. 
And I would believe that, you know, there's different people say, well, is, whose idea was it? Was it Paul's? Was it Onesimus? I think it was both of them because I'm telling you, he's a runaway slave and that long distance, if he didn't want to go, he could have skedaddled again. But they were both in agreement that they need to get there. And this is where the fourth point is, and that is the offending person initiates with a repentant heart and contrite spirit. The offending person initiates with a repentant heart and contrite spirit. Paul did not say, hey, Philemon, Onesimus is here. You come over here. Not at all. He says, Onesimus, you have offended Philemon. You ran away. You left your your duty. And some believe in some of the scriptures that he even stole some money. He says, you've got to go back. You've got to go back. So the offending party, they've got to initiate with a repentant heart and a contrite spirit. The problem is is that few don't want to take personal responsibility and admit they're wrong. Pride just begins to well up in our life, and we would rather stand right here steeped in our own pride and our own cockiness and not admit that we're wrong. And we'll keep saying bad things about the person that we offended, but the blame's on us right here. We're Onesimus. And see, some of you are an Onesimus, and you know it. And you know what the relationship is. And you really got two options. You can keep standing here and just keep seething in bitterness. Or you take the first step. And what Paul was saying is Onesimus has agreed that he's going to come and go face to face with you. It's a huge step. And he's going to take that step and come towards you. And he's got a repentant heart. And he's going to have contrite words because he, know that he knows that he messed up. He knows he did wrong. And he wants to get forgiveness on there. So in verse 13, he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. I love that. He says, he is really doing some great stuff for me right now. And you know the way I look at it, Philemon? If you were not busy working in Colossae, if you were here in Rome, you'd be doing the same thing. You would be serving me. But since you can't be here, guess what? Your servant is serving me. And he's doing it in your stead. And man, I love having him here. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. I'm not forcing anything. I need to send him back. He doesn't need to stay here with me. He needs to go and get reconciled with you. It's not by compulsion. I'm not asking you to for sure take him in. I'm just saying he needs to come to you. And there can be no true reconciliation until this happens. Philemon was a Gentile. He grew up in a world where forgiveness was not the norm. And so he, as a new believer, is now getting hit in the face with the reality of what the Bible talks about, about forgiveness. And so that's why he's appealing to him and appealing to his Christian convictions. And he says, I'm not coercing you, but I just want you to understand that when he comes, there needs to be forgiveness that needs to take place. And then an interesting verse in verse 15 when he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Look at that for a moment. Look at this. Says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Onesimus was over here in Colossae. When he ran away, that was wrong. When he left him, he was wrong. When he stole the money, he was wrong. 
He came to Rome, and in the midst of all the wrong things that he did, somehow God intersected with his life, and he said he made what he did wrong, he made it for good. The statement is this, God works through circumstances. Grace triumphs over sin. God works through our circumstances. Never did Paul say, hey, he was right to run away. He was right to steal that money. No. He's saying everything that he did was wrong, but yet God in his grace will triumph over sin. And even when we're heading in the wrong direction, we do not feel like that God's hands are tied and God is not like over here. And we are living our life over here and God's saying, man, there's nothing I can do until you get closer over here. Guess what? God can intersect our life wherever we are and he can take our life where we are, the things that we're doing, and grace will triumph over that sin. I I was um, at a conference with pastors first part of this week. And just sitting around, one of the pastors was sharing a little bit of his story. And because people were talking about their call and things, and he says, well, he says, I remember very clearly. He says, I'd made a decision for Christ, but I wasn't living for him at all. And uh, I was a football player. I was playing on the team, and I was um, at some party. Everybody was getting drunk. And uh, he said, I kind of woke up that morning. Everybody's throwing up, and people got hangovers, and things just a wreck and a trash. And he said, I felt horrible. And it's like God threw a spear through my heart. And he says, so, is this what you want your life to be? Is this what you want? And in the midst of everything he was doing that was wrong, God spoke to him clearly. And he says, no. This is not what I want to do. And he said, from that point forward, I began to live my life differently. And I laughed because he said, and then two days later, I was out there on the football field at practice. I looked at my coach and says, hey, I hadn't cussed in 48 hours. (laughs) Coach says, really? He said, there's just a difference. And God puts his hand on his shoulder and calls him into ministry. But what it was is he was in the midst of doing things that he knew he shouldn't be doing, but yet God's grace triumphed over the sin. And what Philemon's saying here, he says, hey, perhaps, perhaps this direction that he took, God has used that for good. And maybe some of you here today have got a perhaps experience. Maybe some of you here today are saying, you know, I, I don't need to be where I am. Perhaps. God is taking you right where you are and his grace is getting ready to triumph your sin. You are never in a place that is so hopeless that God cannot triumph over your sin. Never. You just give me whatever you want to give me, your long list of what your life is, and I will come back with scripture and just scratch through that and say, never. God's grace will always triumph over that sin. That's what is so great about our God that we serve. And so he's asking this of Philemon. He's saying, maybe this is why this happened. So then you move into Philemon's side of the story, and that's point number five, and that is the offended person, motivated by love, extends forgiveness. The offended person, motivated by love, extends forgiveness. Verse 16. I hope that you take him back No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
when Philemon comes back to you, you're getting more than just a slave back. You're getting a brother in Christ. And you're getting a brother in Christ. And it'll mean a lot to me if you do that. It's going to mean even more to you. Because all of a sudden, you've got this man who's now a brother in the faith. But what you have to do in order for that to happen is that you are going to have to forgive him. You're going to have to extend that forgiveness. Because he's coming to you. And you need to extend the forgiveness. And at the same time, he sends a letter to the church of the Colossians. And look what he says in that letter in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's exactly what he's talking to him. I'm appealing to you for love's sake. And I'm appealing to you that you will forgive this man. And it's exactly what he's telling there at the church in Colossians. And what does Paul does, he alludes to this new relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And so naturally the question is, is when he comes back, is he still a slave? And what does Paul tell him? To keep as a slave or to release him? As you read through that, you can see it's alluding that Paul is saying, make him a free man, but he's not telling him he has to do that. Because that's a pretty dicey situation. What happens with all the other slaves that he has? These that have been loyal, that have still been there. If he makes him free, what does the next guy over here say? Hey, if you pretend like you're a Christian, you get off on this thing. Let's just pretend like we're Christians. Or what if there are some other Christians that are slaves? Does that mean we need to release all of those? I don't know. He's not, he's not telling him. He's just subtly saying, hey, you've now got a brother in Christ. And guess what? He's a member of the household of faith. And so that church that is, being, that is meeting in your home, he's a part of that church family. All of this comes down to him. And he says, I'm asking you to, in love, to forgive him and bring him back as one. Okay? Leaves that decision up to him. And here's your final point, And that is, both people put the past behind them and move forward. Both people put the past behind them and they move forward. Whenever that decision is made, an offering, an admission of wrong, an extension of forgiveness, and when those two come together, then you put the past behind you, you move forward, and you want to do what is right in God's eyes. And when that happens, there's a whole new life for them. Onesimus, he went from being useless to useful. Philemon, he went from having just a guy that was a slave to having someone who's now a brother. And so for both these men, there's a whole new change that's getting ready to to happen in their life. And so this is it. Where do you stand on there? Which one can you identify with? I'll tell you one thing we can't all identify with. And that is when you look at our relationship with God, every one of us is Onesimus. We've offended God. He is our creator. He created us. He created this world. And he created it perfect. And he placed man in paradise. And man and woman were there in paradise. They had everything that they needed and they sinned against God. And then ever since then, whenever we come into this world, we do the same thing. We sin against God and we offend him. 
And so in the way that we offend him, what God did is he says, I'm going to give you my best, and that is my son. And so he he brings his son, and he has him to live on earth and live a sinless life for about 33 years. But then he goes to a cross, and he dies for our sins. He pays the penalty for our sins. And it says, though, that three days later, when Jesus was raised from the dead, and then he was here uh, for about another seven weeks, and then he ascended to heaven, and he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Which means that when we pray, we go through Jesus to the Father. And when we die and we stand before the Father, Jesus will say, he's one of mine. Let him into your kingdom. And he is the one that is putting us together. And it is, it is almost as if in, in, in my life that, that Jesus is there and with one hand he's holding my hand and with the other hand he's holding the hand of God and he is connecting the two of us together. And he says, if you go through me, you go to the Father and I will connect you two together and you have this relationship with the Father. Philemon and Paul and Onesimus kind of fall into this. Onesimus is the one who is... The offending party. Paul is the spiritual father to Philemon. He's the spiritual father to Onesimus. And in essence, he's taking Onesimus's hand and he says, uh, you have received as Savior. You want forgiveness. Hey, Philemon, over here, you've received Christ as Savior. You need to extend forgiveness. I'm going to reconcile and bring the two of you together. And Paul says, I'm going to write a letter for you to carry to him to be that point of reconciliation. So let me ask this question. What would the outcome be if Onesimus begins to travel from Italy to head over to Turkey and he reads that letter and says, you know what, I don't need this. And he throws the letter away. And says, you know what, I'm just going to take my chances. I'm going to go and talk to Philemon myself. Let me tell you Philemon's background. Whenever a slave ran away, he had a couple of options to do in his culture. Number one, when he comes back, you beat him within an inch of his life. Then, if you want to, you can sell him and sell him for someone's farm. You can sell him to work in the mines. You can sell him to go work in the galley of a ship. You could choose to have him crucified, or you could choose to have him thrown in an arena with wild beasts to be killed. Runaway slaves, there wasn't a whole lot of compassion during that day on runaway slaves. This wasn't a real touchy-feely, friendly time to be living. So I want to ask you, if Onesimus just tries to come back on his own, doesn't need the letter from Paul, what do you think his reception is going to be? What do you think his destiny is? Does anybody here think that he's going to have a better destiny without the letter than with the letter? I don't think so. In the same sense, when Jesus says, Danny, I've got you by my hand here and I've got God's hand over here and I'm going to have you reconcile with him, what if I in my life says, I don't really want your recommendation, Jesus. I'm going to take my own chances. I'm going to live life like I want to here on earth and then when I die, I'm going to stand before God and just fend for myself. How do you think that's going to work for me? How do you think a sinful guy like myself, standing before a pure, holy God of mercy and justice, how am I going to do on my own? It's not going to be good. But see, we get to choose that. 
Just as Onesimus got to choose whether he would carry that letter or not, each one of us gets to choose. Do we want Jesus to be the one that is our recommendation to the Father, or do we just want to live life on our own? I'll tell you what, my hope and prayer is that you take up God's offer. He's already paid the price. He's died on the cross for your sins. He's raised from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, and desires to have a relationship with you, and there's only one way to do that, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And we either accept it or reject it. We accept it, then we get a recommendation. And when we die, we step into his presence, and Jesus says, hey, that's my boy, that's my girl. They come on in. Or we stand before God in the midst of all of our sin and all the trash in our life and all the mess in our life. Look for a holy God who's a just God. And he's going to say, there's no way I can let you into my holiness here. And he will send you to spend eternity separated from God. It's our call. It's your call. It's my prayer. You make the right call. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Father, I thank you that you are so full of love and so full of grace. And that in the midst of our life, of even bad decisions that are made and wrong directions that we go, that your grace can triumph over our sin. And Lord, in these moments, I'm praying for each person here. And I pray for those whose lives are heading in wrong directions. And that today would be a perhaps moment for them. And that they would look to you and say, I'm tired of all this. I'm going to go with you. And Father, I pray for others that are struggling with bitterness of relationships that are in turmoil, of words that have been said, actions that have been taken that have offended people. And I, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would show the benefits of repentance and forgiveness to both the offending party and the offended. And that there would be a coming together this week so that those relationships can be strengthened, their walk with you can be strengthened, there can be a new dynamic in their life, a new joy, a new uh, uh, quickness in their step, and to know that those things are right and then continue to grow in their walk with you. So, Lord, that's our prayer today. We pray that you speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.